Well, hello, everybody. Welcome. Uh, I don't know if you noticed, but there's this big ball that like shines in the sky. It's amazing. I, I've heard it's called the sun. We haven't seen it in a while, but uh, I know I'm, I'm excited about that. The sun was streaming in. Uh, my daughter and a friend of hers were laying out in the lobby this morning as we were setting up, just in the sun, just soaking it up. And so I hope that uh, you have an opportunity to enjoy it. Now, when you walk outside, you realize that it's a lie uh, and it's still cold, but you know, what are you going to do? Uh, but I'm glad that you're here. Uh, for those of you who are here for the very first time, uh, our first time guests, welcome. We're glad to have you here. I've gotten to meet a couple of you, but not all of you, and so I look forward to that. Um, but we honestly, we, we, we're glad that you're here. It is not easy to try out a new place, check out a new thing, and, uh, and so thank you for taking a risk uh, and, and joining us. Uh, we hope that you will find what is true about our church and about this community, this place, and that is that it's a safe place for you to dig in and discover what Jesus means to your life and who he is in your life, uh, that we are children of God and that we just need to accept him and believe in that. And that's what we're all about. Um, so we have been in this series called Great Stories of the Bible. And we've been looking at the big stories, those stories that really, even if you've never looked at the Bible, you've probably heard of these stories, maybe at least heard about them, maybe know nothing about them, but you've at least heard of them. David and Goliath and Noah and the ark. And last week we talked about Jonah and the fish. And so today we're going to get into Daniel and the lion's den. Daniel and the lion's den. Now, when I say Daniel and the lion's den, I've made this point the last three weeks. When we think of Daniel and the lion's den, right away, we sometimes think of, this is a kid's story. Why are we spending time on a little kid's story? In fact, I found this picture. It's one of those that you can buy, so it has all the watermarks on it. But, but this is hilarious. Look at this. Number one, Daniel was not a child uh, when, you know, the whole Daniel and the lion's den thing. Plus, look, I mean, look at the lion's those are the nicest, sweetest butterfly lions I've ever seen. Like those things are just smiling. They're like, oh, look, they threw somebody in here for us to play with. Mm. Right? Totally not how Daniel and the Lion's Den went or is. I mean, it's not a kid's story. We, we talk about it with the kids because there's unbelievably powerful principles in this story. And so we do teach it to our kids. But it's not a kid's like nice, ooh, the lions are smiling at you kind of story. There's a lot in here that's really important. And so uh, I'm not going to set up anything else. We're going to just jump right in because there's a lot to share this morning. And, and the story is, is, is just a powerful one. And so we're going to jump right in uh, to Daniel, Daniel chapter 6. So if you like to follow along, we're going to be in Daniel chapter 6. We're going to start with verse 1 here in a minute. And, uh, and, and then we're going to unpack it as we go. And, and, and I'll make some points and, and draw some things out as we read through this. But uh, a little bit longer story this morning. Uh, so longer passages of scripture. So just kind of follow along, read them. They'll be on the screen as usual. Daniel chapter 6, starting with verse 1. Darius the Mede, this is the king of the empire. Darius the Mede decided to divide the kingdom into 120 provinces. And he appointed a high officer to rule over each province. The king also chose Daniel and two others as administrators to supervise the high officers and protect the king's interests. Daniel soon proved himself more capable than all the other administrators and high officers. Because of Daniel's great ability, the king made plans to place him over the entire empire. 
Then the other administrators and high officers began searching for some fault in the way Daniel was handling government affairs, but they couldn't find anything to criticize or condemn. He was faithful, always responsible, and completely trustworthy. Imagine, that can happen. Yeah. So they concluded... Our only chance of finding grounds for accusing Daniel will be in connection with the rules of his religion. So I want to stop there and just summarize real quick because that was a lot to take in in just a few verses. So essentially we have the king of the Medo-Persian Empire. Now the Medo-Persian Empire is the largest empire in the ancient history, in the ancient history world. Okay, so BC times. In fact, I'll show you a map of this. This is kind of what it looks like. They stretched all the way into Europe, down past Egypt, all the way over to India. It was huge. It's the biggest empire in ancient history. And when we're talking about like any date that means BC, like before Christ, this is the biggest empire that existed at that time. There were a couple others that were maybe close. There's contention about that. But anyway, it's one of the biggest in ancient history. And Darius, also known as Cyrus the Great in history, if you look it up, you'll find Cyrus the Great, but he's also known as Darius the Mede. Darius is the king of the Medo-Persian Empire, this huge, vast empire that they've just conquered. And so what he realizes he needs to do is he needs to organize this empire into uh, some kind of section so that he can kind of control and dictate what happens in his empire. And so basically what he does is he says, I'm going to divide my empire up to 120 different provinces. Okay? And then what he does is he, put a high, he puts a high officer over each one of those 120 provinces. So there's 120 high officers, one over each one of those. Then he has above that, he has three administrators. Okay, these are kind of like your managers. These are the guys that are going to oversee all the high officers, make sure that they're doing what the king wants them to do. And then, of course, as we understand, above the three administrators is the king. Now, the reason I give you that, that hierarchy, that structure, it's important to understand what's going on. The king is setting up his empire in this way. And then Daniel, who is a Hebrew, he's actually a captive from Judah when they were conquered by the Babylonians. Okay? Um, and the Assyrians and all this stuff, that Daniel is stuck serving the king. So he's kind of like a slave to some degree, but he really has some freedom. And so Daniel is placed as one of those three administrators. It's pretty, pretty miraculous that Daniel was able to work his way into the top level of the government, so to speak. He's literally right under the king with these three. And then notice what it said in that scripture. Did you notice what it said about Daniel? Daniel proved himself so capable, so amazing in his job that the king said, okay, out of these three administrators and all the high officers, Daniel's by far the best. And so the king started making plans to change his structure again and put Daniel right under himself. King Daniel administrators provinces. So Daniel's about to become the second in command, but the other people they were like, Daniel, you're so awesome. We're so happy for you. No, they didn't. They said, we hate you. That, that's awful. I want to be second in command. And so they, get, they, they allow jealousy to get in. Have you guys ever experienced jealousy? <laughs> I'll bet you have, either in yourself or somebody else. And so this jealousy drives them to want to get rid of Daniel. And so they start looking for dirt on Daniel. 
I can't imagine we'd ever understand that a politician would ever do that. Look for dirt on other people. But that's what they did. They started looking for dirt on Daniel. But guess what? They couldn't find a single piece of dirt. They're like, this guy is amazing. He's trustworthy. He's faithful. He's loyal. Like he's really good. So there's nothing wrong. And so they decide that the only way to get Daniel is to trick the king into making and signing a law that says for 30 days you can only pray to the king. You can't pray to your God. You can't pray to any other deity. You cannot use. They knew that his faith was a sticking point for him. And so they tricked the king into passing a law that says nobody in the empire can pray to anybody except to the king himself. And so I want to read and pick up the story where Daniel finds this out. So going to verse 10. But when Daniel learned that the law had been signed... He went home and knelt down as usual in his upstairs room with its windows open toward Jerusalem. He prayed three times a day, just as he had always done, giving thanks to his God. Then the officials went together to Daniel's house and found him praying and asking for God's help. So they went straight to the king and reminded him about his law. Did you not sign a law? That for the next 30 days, any person who prays to anyone, divine or human, except to you, your majesty, will be thrown into the den of lions? Yes, the king replied, that decision stands. It is an official law of the Medes and Persians that cannot be revoked. Then they told the king, that man Daniel, one of the captives from Judah, is ignoring you and your law. He still prays to his God three times a day. Now, the Bible is interesting. At this point, the very next verse, I'm not going to read it to you, but the very next verse, the Bible tells us that the king gets really upset. He becomes very troubled because he knows that he's been caught. He knows that he's been tricked. But there's nothing he can do about it. It says in God's word that the king spends the whole rest of that day trying to figure out a loophole, a way that he can save Daniel. That's what, that's what it says. And so the king doesn't want to do this, but eventually the officers come back to the king at the, in the evening, like after this whole day, and the king's been scrambling, trying to figure out how he can save Daniel. I mean, he's the king, he can do whatever he wants, but he's the one that signed the law. And so the officers come to him and they say, hey, your majesty, uh, this is the law. Daniel broke it. You know what you need to do. If you don't follow your own law, nobody's going to follow your laws. Right? We all know that. And so the king is stuck. And so now the king finally capitulates. He gives in because he has to. And he has Daniel arrested. And I want to pick up the story one more time from there, starting with verse 16. So at last, the king gave orders for Daniel to be thrown or arrested and thrown into the den of lions. The king said to him, May your God, whom you serve so faithfully, rescue you. A stone was brought and placed over the mouth of the den. The king sealed the stone with his own royal seal and the seals of the nobles so that no one could rescue Daniel. Just so you know, the seal was, uh, if you broke that, it was punishable by death. That was to your own detriment to your life. You do not break the seal of the king or the nobles. If, they, if anybody tried to save Daniel, they would pay with their life. So that's why it's pretty important. They seal it with their royal seals. He refused, the king returned to his palace and spent the night fasting. He refused his usual entertainment and couldn't sleep at all that night. Very early the next morning, the king got up and hurried out to the lion's den. 
When he got there, he called out in anguish, Daniel, servant of the living God, was your God whom you served so faithfully able to rescue you from the lions? Daniel answered, long live the king. No, this is very interesting. Notice his first thing. He's just spent a night with lions that want to eat him in the dark by himself. He thought his life was over. And the first thing he says in the morning, I, how, how, how nice are you guys in the morning? I don't know about you, but my, if I get woken up, like somebody calls down to me, like I'm not like, long live the king. Yeah, it's a great morning. Like this, Daniel's amazing. He remembers his respect and, and the proper etiquette to his king, to his majesty, even, it's, even though it's a king that he doesn't want to serve because he's a Hebrew. He says, long live the king. My God sent his angel to shut the lion's mouth so that they would not hurt me, for I have been found innocent in his sight, and I have not wronged you, your majesty. Notice Daniel throws it in. By the way, I didn't do you wrong either. Just so you know, that second in command thing still on the table, right? He's just smart, right? He's just good. The king was overjoyed and ordered Dan that Daniel be lifted from the den. Not a scratch was found on him, for he had trusted in his God. Oh, that's awesome. And now I'm not going to read this next part, but the, if you look at the next verse, the next verse tells us that because of Persian Mede law, they threw all the other officers and administrators into the den of lions and they were eaten right away. They also threw their families in. Now, now that seems shocking to us, but the Persian Mede law, that's what you did. When somebody did wrong, you actually punished their entire family. That's just how the Persians did it. They were brutal. Okay, so Daniel escaped that. Now, so what I want to do is, though, what's important is that's an amazing story, right? This is incredible. And a lot of people think that this is fake, and I will tell you that it's in God's word, therefore it's not. Okay, so you can think what you want, but I'm just here to tell you that it's your word against God's. <laughs> I, I kind of know who wins. You're good. Whatever. All right? This is an amazing story, but here's what I want to do. I want to ask the question, what in the world? It's a great story, right? This is wonderful. I'm so, oh man, I'm, I'm ready to go. Take on some lions, right? But the question becomes, what is the relevance of this story to you and to I today in 2019? Because this happened a long time ago, over 2,500 years ago. So what's the relevance for you and I today from this story, from God's Word? Well, I'm glad you asked that question. That's a good question. I want to answer that question with a three-word phrase, the one that I'm going to spend the rest of our time on. And I hope that this digs into your heart, and I hope that you realize that this is one of the most important things that you could wrap your life around. The three-word phrase is this, faithfulness trumps factors. Faithfulness trumps factors. So what I want to do is I want to break this down word by word and talk about what this phrase means and why it's so important to Daniel and to you and to I. So the first word is faithfulness. If I were to define faithfulness, so because we talk about faithfulness, we can kind of go around and think what we think about faithfulness, but let's talk about what does faithfulness mean. So if I were to give you the definition, here's the definition that I looked up, and I, and I think that it uh, describes it accurately. True to one's word, promises, or vows, and or steady in allegiance, loyal, constant. Would you guys agree that that's a, that's a pretty good 
dictionary practical definition of faithfulness. If a person is faithful, this describes them. True to their word, steady, loyal, constant. They don't, they're not always changing their thoughts and their beliefs and their ways. Okay? Daniel demonstrates faithfulness, doesn't he? In a powerful way. Let me give you a couple of uh, examples of evidence of that. Go back to verse 16. Remember when the king is finally capitulates and he's about to throw Daniel into the lion's den. They're literally throwing him into the lion's den at this point. And listen to what the king says to him. The king said to him, May your God, whom you serve so faithfully, rescue you. Notice that the king has noticed how faithful Daniel is. In fact, I would contend that this is probably the main reason why the king wanted to promote Daniel to second in command. Because he's like, this guy is consistent. He's faithful. Like, he's always there. He's good. And the king recognizes it, even as he's throwing him into the den of lions. It's probably why he was such anguish that night. Because he realized he was probably about to kill one of the best people he's ever met. Because he was so faithful. But look at verse 10. Demonstrates another level of faithfulness. Verse 10, this is right after he finds out about the law. But when Daniel learned that the law had been signed, he went home and knelt down as usual in his upstairs room with his windows open toward Jerusalem. He prayed three times a day, just as he had always done, giving thanks to his God. I want you to notice that this exemplifies and is an example of faithfulness to the letter. In fact, there's a really small detail that maybe we would not ever even take notice of. It's two words. And it comes right after the phrase. If you look at the, at the verse there, it says that Daniel went home and knelt down. And then there's two words. What does it say? As usual. We wouldn't think that those are the most important words. We'd think that pray, that he prayed was, or that he knelt down. Yeah, those are important. But that maybe one of the most important aspects of this whole verse is that he prayed as usual. In fact, just a couple of lines later, it says what? He prayed three times as late, just as he always had done. Right? As he had always done. In other words, Daniel did not run home when he heard about the law. Here's how I tend to pray. I find out something's wrong. I'm like, oh, Lord, I need you. You know? And, And Daniel did not run home and pray because he found out about the law. I want us to understand that. A lot of people, I've heard preaching on this, and it kind of make, they make it sound that way. That's not why he ran home and prayed. He ran home and prayed because that's what he does every day. This is when I pray. And just because there's a law that says I can't do it doesn't mean I'm not going to do it. Daniel runs home as usual and he prays. He's faithful. So I want to ask you a question before we move on. What is an area of your life? What is something where God is asking you to be consistent, to be faithful? God is always pushing on me in various areas to say, you need to be better at this. You need to be more consistent in this. You, you kind of waffle when certain people are in the room on this, and you need to be more faithful. I don't know if you guys get that, but I get that conviction fairly often. And so is there something in your life where God is saying, I need you to be more faithful in this? Because you'll, you'll see the power of it. Just like Daniel, as usual, 
as he had always done, he went home and prayed, regardless of any law. So the first word is faithfulness. The second word is trumps. Okay? Not to be confused with the name of our president, please. Thank you very much. <laughs> All right? Has nothing to do with the president. Has everything to do with what this word actually means. And if you give a dictionary definition, it is a playing card or a measurement of some kind, a fact that overrides everything else. So it's very simple. Uh, some of you, uh, you're from Wisconsin probably euchre players, right? You like to play euchre. I love to play euchre. It's a really simple game. I can actually talk and play those cards. If I play other games, I'm like, I can either play cards or talk. I can't do both. <laughs> that's, just, that's just how I am. And so you play euchre, you play spades, you play any you know, number of different card games. And what happens is the trump suit or the trump card takes every other card, doesn't it? So it doesn't matter if I play the ace of diamonds or the ace of hearts or something like that. If you have the two of spades and spades is trump, that two, that tiny little two is going to take everything else. Why? Because it's the trump card. Because it wins out. It always overrides. It supersedes all the other stuff. So you know where I'm going with this, right? Faithfulness always supersedes, always wins out, always overlaps, always is more important than factors, which is the third word. Faithfulness overrides, wins out over factors. Now, what's factors? Again, quick definition. A number or a fact, a reality, that leads to an expected result. That's a factor. So you guys know how much I love math. <laughs> I don't, right? But let me give you a math equation just to kind of give you an example, an illustration of what a factor is, right? So if I were to give you this equation, three times two equals six, right? I can do that kind of stuff, by the way. I got this, right? I had to do the memorization thing where you had to speed through the, the thing. Did you guys have to do that? You had to speed through the, that was so stressful for me. It's like, man, I do not like math and I've got to compete and this is crazy. I don't think that fast. Anyway, three times two. I digress, right? Three times two. If you look at this, the result is six. Okay, that's the answer. But the factors that lead to that answer being six is three and the two and the symbol in between, right? All of those things lead to the answer being six. So if you have a three times one, if you change the factor, it changes the result, doesn't it? Three times one, you're going to have three, right? If I were to change, if I had kept the numbers the same, the factors are the same, but I change the sign in between three plus two, then the answer becomes different, doesn't it? It becomes five. See, I'm really good at simple math. I can teach first graders, right? Beyond that, we're done. Three times two. So those are the factors. They are the realities that lead to a result. So here's why I bring this up. I want to go back. Let's talk about Daniel's factors in the story of Daniel. What were his realities? What were the things that were true for him in his life? Okay. First, we know that he was going to be promoted. He was going to become second in command, right? We, we, we know that. Another one is that the officers and the administrators, they were jealous and they were going after him. That's a reality. Another reality was the king signed a law that is absolute. It cannot be revoked. Even the king said that about the fact that he is not allowed to pray to God. 
right? That's a fact. That's a reality. That's not something that he can change and be like, no, I'm going to change that number. No, he can't do that. The king made the law. It's done. The king can't even change the law. It's a reality. The end fact is that if he breaks the law, he will be thrown into a lion's den where hungry lions are, have been starving so that as soon as he hits the floor, he's done. That's a reality for his life. It's a fact. So the question I have for you is what are some factors, what are some realities in your life that are maybe keeping you from faithfulness? What are some factors, what are some realities that are holding you back? Because clearly, I don't know about you, but I haven't had to deal with a lion's den. Okay, I don't know, it's been a while since I've been threatened with that one. Probably for you too. But here, let me throw out some other practical possibilities. Calendar. Job. Person at work. Person in your family. Habits. Addictions. Would these be barriers to our faithfulness? If I were being honest, I know that some of those things are in my life. Barriers to my faithfulness sometimes. Gets me off track. Throws me off. Keeps me from God. But I want to look back to Daniel one more time. Because remember our phrase, faithfulness trumps factors. And Daniel is a perfect example of this. I want to go back to verse 10 one more time. I've been focusing a lot on verse 10, but it's kind of a key pivotal thing. Verse 10 says, But when Daniel learned that the law had been signed, he went home and knelt down as usual in his upstairs room with its windows open toward Jerusalem. He prayed three times a day, just as he had always done, giving thanks to his God. So here's the point. Daniel could have changed his ways he could have made a slight change and he could have gone home to his home and he could have prayed in a different corner that was a little bit more hidden, a little bit quieter, right? He could have closed the windows, apparently, because it said his windows were open, so I'm assuming that maybe he could have closed them, right? He could have prayed at night. He could have prayed when the administrators left. He could have prayed any other time, but he didn't do that. Why didn't Daniel change when he prayed because he could have saved himself a whole lot of problems he could have just prayed in secret he could have prayed somewhere else he could have gone out to the hill where nobody was around check around nope okay god we're good thank you for who you are whatever he could have done that and let me ask you can god hear him whether he's on a hill or in the palace or at home or on the street or underground can God hear him? Yeah, God can hear him anywhere. Daniel could have prayed wherever he wanted, but he didn't. And, and the question I think we need to ask is why? Why didn't Daniel hide? Because he knew the law for 30, and he only had to do it for 30 days. Like, God, 30 days, we just got to ride this out. We're going to pray a little quieter for 30 days, God. Why didn't he do that? You know why he didn't do that? Because it was a faithfulness issue. It was a faithfulness issue. When I was a teenager, 
Um, I don't remember entirely the context uh, at all, but I was sitting in a community worship service. So it wasn't at my own church. It was at another church, and there's this big community service. I don't, I don't even remember what it was for, to be honest. Um, I was a teenager a while ago, <laughs> just so you know. So that's why the details may be a little bit fuzzy. Um, but I was in this community service, and I know I was there with some other friends of mine who were also teenagers, okay? And, uh, and we were in this service, and I don't even remember what the service was about, to be honest. But I remember something very, very vividly, very clearly. And that was, I was sitting in that service, and, and at one point they were talking about this ministry that was happening in the community that was going to do some great things or was doing great things for the people in that, in that community. And for whatever reason, I don't know why in this particular time, in this particular day, but I was sitting in that service and God very clearly prompted me that I should give a little bit of money to this ministry. Now, I'm a teenager. Honestly, I, I, I would be surprised if I had more than like $15 in my wallet. I just, I just, I know I didn't have a lot because I never had a lot. Uh, 10, 12, 15 bucks. I don't know what I had, but I had a little, I knew I had a little cash. I knew I had a little cash in there. And I was with my friends. And God very clearly said, I need you to give some of your money to this ministry, like tonight. Like, you're not going to write a check or go home and ask mom and dad. Or you, you need to give it right now. And I ignored God. I just pushed back on him. I was like, I'm not, no, I'm not doing that. And to be honest, I don't remember exactly if there was a rational thought as to why. I don't know if maybe I was saving money for ice cream later to hang out with my friends. That's, that's a real possibility. I really don't know why. But I, I remember that I, I said no. I told God no. I didn't say it out loud, right? No! Everybody's like, what's that guy, guys? Like, There's issues there. But I'm wrestling in my heart and my soul with him. I'm like, no. And I left having not given a penny. And I remember for the next, oh, I don't know, days for sure, God would not let me forget it. He just kept tapping and banging on my heart and saying, why didn't you do it? Why didn't you give? You, know, you heard me. He, he was kind of like, you, you're trying to play it off like, man, maybe it was just your own thought. And God said, no, no, it was me. <laughs> I mean, that's what I did for the, last, the next several days. I'm wrestling with God. And he, and, he, and he finally got this point into my heart. And it shook me, and I realized that it's something that I have failed at since. I had definitely failed at it before. But I've tried to be better at it. And he said this, he said to me, if I can't trust you to give a few dollars, I definitely will not be able to trust you with anything more. If you're not going to be faithful in something so minor and tiny as this, I can't trust you with anything else. Not until you trust me more. There are times when I have pushed back on God and I know that I've failed in my faithfulness. And there are times when I have stepped up when God has called me to be faithful and I've been able to do it. Hebrews 11.6 says this. 
says it is impossible to please God without faith. Anyone who wants to come to him must believe that God exists and that he rewards those who sincerely seek him. See, what this is saying is that faith and faithfulness have to go hand in hand, like they work together in symbiosis. It's a, it's a cyclical thing. It's how, in fact, this is one of the most important things to our walk with God right now, what I'm about to tell you. Okay, faith is belief that God exists and belief that he's good. Right? That's faith. Faith believes that he's real and that I need to follow him because he's so good that he's perfect. Faith is that you believe and trust in that. Faithfulness is the action that comes out of faith. Does that make sense? If I believe and trust that God is real and that he's good and that he's the best for my life and that he can direct me, then, then that will lead me to take action and live my life in such a way of faithfulness. So, so let me put it this way. I have a diagram that shows you the circle, okay? Faith, your trust and your belief in God will lead you to be more faithful. And then guess what? As you are more faithful, as, you, as God tells you to do something, like invite somebody to church or to give a few dollars at a community service or whatever he tells you to do, somebody's on the street and he says, go buy them lunch. Don't give them money. Go take them to Olive Garden or McDonald's or something and sit down and pay for their food and have a conversation with them. When God tells God has done that to me, by the way. Some, there's been a couple times I said absolutely no, uh-uh. And there are some times I have done it. It's been so uncomfortable, but so good. I've learned some powerful things and lessons from people that were on the street. See, as we are faithful then God proves himself to be faithful to us and trustworthy. And guess what that does? It leads you to have greater faith. And if you have greater faith, it will lead you to greater faithfulness. And greater faithfulness will then show you that you can trust God in the bigger things too, and then you'll have greater faith. Do you see how this works? God, this is how he grows you up. This is how he gets you from milk to meat. This is how he takes you from faith that is shallow and can be knocked over by the first storm that comes into your life and driving your roots deep into the soil of God and his word and his principles and his love and his grace. And the deeper those roots go, the more foundation you'll have. And then those storms will come and they will beat against you and you will stand firm because your faith and your faithfulness has already grown exponentially. But it requires us to start with faith, to believe that God exists, believe that Jesus died on the cross for us. We have to accept that first. That's the first step for any person. And then to act in faithfulness. Jesus was the perfect example of this. Romans 5.8, God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. So this whole story of Daniel, it's actually the story of Jesus too. I don't know if you've ever put in the, realized this, but Jesus knew that faithfulness trumps factors. What did Jesus know when he came to earth as a baby? He knew that he was going to grow up. He knew he was designed and, and created, and, and well, he wasn't created. He knew that his purpose as God 
was to bring salvation to people that desperately needed it. But he also knew that in order to bring salvation, he was going to have to die on a cross. He's going to have to be mocked and jeered and beaten, made fun of. He's going to have to lose his life through crucifixion in order to pay for our sins. Jesus knew that. He didn't, it wasn't like it was like all of a sudden it came to him. He knew that going in. So why did Jesus do it? Well, clearly because he loves us. But also because he knows, because God is the ultimate expression of the fact that faithfulness trumps factors. God allows faithfulness to trump everything else so that we can have salvation through Jesus. And so the question I have for you this morning is this. When factors come into your life that want to push you away from God, that want to scare you away from a person, that kind of make you uncomfortable, what is your reaction? Are you, do you respond in faithfulness or fear? Another word that starts with F. In fact, I would say that most of the things that keep us from faithfulness is probably fear. I would say that 90 plus percent of the times when I have not been faithful, it's probably because of fear. I fear the person that's in front of me. I fear a situation. I fear the ramifications of it, whatever the case is. Are you faithful? Can we be like Daniel? And no matter what comes our way, that God calls us to be faithful, to follow him and trust him no matter what. For some of us in here, we're in two camps. One, maybe you've never given your life to Jesus. I'm not going to belabor that. If you've never accepted Jesus, you've never chosen that first step of faith, I encourage you to do it. Do it today. Don't wait. For the rest of us, if we've already given our life to Jesus, the question is simple. Are you following him? Are you staying in step with him? Are you faithful to who God is and who he called you to be? My hope, my encouragement to you is that you will respond to him in whatever he calls you to do. And by the way, I promise you, it'll probably be uncomfortable and scary. I wrestled against coming to plant this church for a while because it was both uncomfortable and scary for me. And it's not a question of whether he's going to call me to do something else, you know, scarier and to ask our church to branch out into some new territory or whatever the case is, I have no idea. But God is going to call us as a church and myself to take risks in the future so that we can grow in our, in our faith with him. So will you answer what God is calling? Let's pray.